Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of Football A Podcast. It is Zach. I'm here with Bill and Matt. Uh, we took a few a few more days than we usually do between uh, recording sessions, but nothing really happened. What's going on, guys? Little hiatus, refreshed, ready to go. Brief hiatus, Bill. I am I am ready to grow, though not refreshed, such as life and parenting, so. uh, especially new parenting. New parenting. Um, so I mean, we had the Hall of Fame game, and then the thirty thousand people that got inducted. Which is kind of old news at this point. The only thing that's like really recent is Mike Thomas can't guard Mike, can't reach Mike, can't call Mike, can't text Mike. Uh, just <laughs> ghosting the Saints over like the off season, and now he like apparently wants out. Hmm. What a D. Bad. Well, you know, I I sympathize a little bit with the never returning calls or texts or emails because that's what I do. But I I'm also not trying to be reached by my employer so exactly i, I don't know <laughs> yeah it's just another one of those like we've talked about the guys like rogers guys like wilson guys that just seem to be just difficult humans to work with um but i think michael thomas puts all of them to shame well maybe well, okay maybe not aaron Rodgers, but but he just he just he's difficult to work with and i don't entirely understand why i mean the saints have obviously invested in him they've given him a big contract um, and they've been behind him through punching a corner and getting into a fight last year through yeah. injuries, all the things that he's kind of had to navigate. So it almost seems like he's just, I don't know, and this is speculative. So take it with a grain of salt, but he's just like just an angry guy. And I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, he, um, and I mean, when he's on the field, that, that is kind of what makes him great, the intensity he plays with. But this, you're right. His fight with um, Gardner Johnson last year is kind of like the tip of the iceberg. There's That was the final straw in a bunch of incidents internally that happened that they weren't really thrilled with. I just don't get like the whole... So apparently he was supposed to get off. I mean, everyone who's listening to this understands what happened. He was supposed to get off season surgery or that he wanted to rehab his ankle instead of getting surgery or try that first. And when the saints were trying to reach out to him in the off season, he ghosted him. He, you know, didn't respond to anything. And then in June, a couple weeks before training camp, training camp starts, he shows up and is just like, Oh yeah, now I need surgery. It's going to take me like eight weeks to recover from. And he's going to miss the first part of the season. Um, I don't know if this is him trying to get out and trying to, you know, kind of have a, a hold in. He apparently liked someone's tweet that said that he, that the Saints aren't, the Saints that tried to get him to put off surgery last year during the season to help Drew Brees uh, win a, his la- like another championship in his last year. And now all of a sudden the saints are bad mouthing him because he wants to, you know, because he's trying to heal, heal himself now, which uh, he liked that tweet. So maybe that's his thought process. Uh, you know, they're yeah. trying to get me to push off surgery. I pushed it off and now they don't like it, but obviously that's a very simplistic view. Like I don't think they want to you know, push it off until the next season. See, I think yeah. it's all contractual. I think it's, I, I think so. He doesn't have any guaranteed money in his contract after, after next year. So I think a lot of this is he's not happy with his contractual contractual situation. He was, and I and I think that you know he did ha- he did get a big you know extension um, a couple years ago, but I don't think that he is happy, and I think he feels like he missed his window to get yet another extension. Um, I think he views himself as one of the uh, you know 
he views himself as the best receiver in football. And I think that was the consensus prior to last year. Um, but I think, I think he got exposed in a lot of different ways. Now, obviously he wasn't healthy, but I mean, there is, there is something to the whole slant boy commentary. <laughs> you mean you, you watch that, that team from two years ago and drew Brees, for better or for worse was targeting him constantly because he ran the routes that drew Brees could throw. Now they weren't all slants, but they were all, yeah. you know, call it within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And Michael Thomas is so strong and just, you know, can push these D backs aside that, you know, that's what ended up. That's how he ended up with all those catches. And then for him after that season to bash Drew, he was one of the key people that were was bashing Drew Brees when all of the political stuff stuff came out because Drew Brees said that like the police are good. I can't remember. It was, it was something totally innocuous. Yeah. And Michael Thomas was like, "How dare you!" Like what? And, and I'm not I'm not making a political commentary here, but when you bite the hand that feeds you, sometimes like Taysom Hill and 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 Jameis Winston aren't going to funnel you the targets that Drew Brees was. Um, and I think he made a colossal mistake um, by his behavior that year because I I do not I don't doubt for a second that that strife had something to do with why Drew Brees called it quits. Other than of course his his you know deterioration of his arm, but um, I don't think that it was a very fun um, playing environment for for Brees that that final year. Um, and I think it made it an easy decision for him to to call it quits. And now Michael Thomas is left with. Okay, I, I, now I'm not going to get funneled the ball all the time. Um, I'm I've, I was hurt last year. Um, my stock is way down, and I'm not happy. And I want out. Um, and I don't have any contract, or I don't have any guaranteed money in my contract after this year. So, um, it's a little bit of sour grapes. Um, but this this is this is going to end in divorce. There's, I would not be surprised if Michael Thomas has played his last snap uh, with the Saints. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you, too. I just don't know who's going to take him at this point. Matt, you were going to say something. Yeah, I, I I would still take Michael Thomas in a trade. I mean, it depends on the the sort of value that you're going to get in return. But um, there's, there's a couple things that I think there's been some resentment that's been building over the course of the last couple of years. Um, football players are weird. Their psyches are weird. Um, the way they... Sometimes there's some blame shifting that happens, especially with younger players, especially at the wide receiver position for someone who like is ran. I remember a couple of years ago, he's randomly responding to Twitter trolls about the slant boy comments and just really going off like this. This seems like a bit of an unhinged individual who and I'm just going off of what I've seen is an emotional actor like he he gets emotional and he just lashes out at people and i have to wonder if when it comes to the saints there's an important factor of if you don't think your quarterback is capable of making you one of the top tier wide receivers in the game um and there was everything was all fine and dandy the year that michael thomas was breaking records um, and they were moving him around the formation. There were a few other players on that roster in the passing game that were 
that were pretty competent and they could make some plays. I'm thinking about like Ted Ginn, even towards the back half of his career. Was Emmanuel um, Sanders there that year too? Emmanuel Sanders had played for them. So there were some like competent pieces in the background that, that he had to play with. So he wasn't dealing with quite as much coverage. And then you move into the next year and like that, that year they moved him into the slot. He was running, you know, vertical routes and he's a matchup nightmare in the slot. That's actually where I would use him most as opposed to the slant boy stuff. I mean, he's tall, he's big, he's strong, he's fast. I would put him in the slot a lot. Um, but when you look at the scheme over the last couple of years with Sean Payton, uh, you look at Drew Brees' deterioration and you look at the lack of creativity, it, it sort of seemed like they used him in the primary X role, didn't shift him around quite as much because in all reality, they just didn't have anything around him. And you come out of pretty much two years of injuries, of bad scheme for the receiver, of uh, deteriorating Drew Brees, and then you go right into Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill. Your second best wide receiver is Alvin Kamara. You have Traquan Smith, who's not really proven that he's an established number two wide receiver. And just a hodgepodge of guy like Chris Hogan is now there. And I was watching something about uh, New Orleans Saints training camp on NFL Network. They're like, Chris Hogan has immediately become a leader in the locker room. And he's telling people where to get lined up. Like, they're playing with incompetent wide receivers at this point in time. Not to say that guys, those guys won't get better or whatever. But if I'm Michael Thomas, I feel pretty disrespected and i feel like there are guys namely Devonte adams deandre hopkins dk medcalf has been emerging there's a lot of justin jefferson aj brown like all of a sudden i was number one and now i'm like number th 10 maybe even falling and i don't think that i'm going to be able to garner the respect and the less product uh productive that i can be the more the slant boy comments come out, the more I'm just, you know, not viewed as one of my top tier guys. And Michael Thomas is a prideful guy for better or for worse. So I think he's just looking at the situation going, you guys haven't helped me. I tried to help the team. Um, I'm weirdly coming down on Michael Thomas's side here. Um, you, you know, you wanted me to, to bust my body for Drew Brees last year and Drew Brees hadn't been helping me be productive the last couple of years and now all of a sudden you want me to rush back and do all these different things and it just doesn't feel like um i think he feels disrespected so i'll just take a pause because that's a lot that i just kind of dumped on everyone well the most recent thing he said was in comic sans he posted which by the way come on man comic sans um, to his, I think, Twitter, Instagram. And it said, they try to damage your reputation. You save theirs by not telling your side of the story. So Michael Thomas, like like to your point, Matt, he, he obviously feels like there's something else that has happened, that he is protecting other people by not sharing, and he's getting unjustly crucified uh, for this. And I will say a bit of that. I agree with a bit of that when it comes to Sean Payton. I get when Sean Payton heard the news that uh, Michael Thomas was undergoing surgery like a month before the training camp started. I understand that he was probably livid. His head probably blew up and he was pissed. I get that. But when someone asks you about it, I think the bet, I mean, if you want to, even if you're sick of the guy and you want to maintain any semblance of 
trade value or as much as you can at least. I think you just say, you know, hey, this is something that we knew was an option coming after, uh, coming off of last season. You know, Michael wanted to take some time to rehab the body, which he's totally, which is totally his right. It is his body. But as we're getting closer to the season, we understand that that's not going to fix the problem. So he's going to get surgery now. We always knew this was a risk, and unfortunately, he's going to be out for the beginning of the season. That's all he had to say. That that keeps everything that's now bubbling up still under the surface. Now he can call Michael Johnson or Michael Thomas and who, who, who knows if he picks up or not and yell and scream till his face turns blue. That's never going to come out. Um, but I just don't understand why make it public with that riff um, and, and, and cause more discord than there has to be already with that. I mean, unless, unless, you know, here's the thing. I, I think going back to the point that Matt made about, you know, Michael Thomas, you know, trying to protect, you know, somebody's reputation. Like I have not seen an instance where Michael Thomas didn't immediately vocalize whatever he was thinking. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm not sure I buy the protecting somebody angle. Um, I do think there's some credence to what Matt said though, about, you know, the team, you know, trying to push him back as, you know, I had him in fantasy, not that that's a big deal, but like I had him in fantasy last year and it was always, Oh, he's going to come back. Oh, he's going to come back. Oh, he's going to come back. But even in that playoff game, he was, he was blanked, um, by, by, uh, by, I think it was Carlton Davis. I'm not mistaken. And, um, he was, he wasn't right. I mean, and you know, that, that does create some, some bad feelings. So I can understand that part of it. Um, that said, I still think that this is, this is him engineering his way out, um, by way of, of injury diagnosis. I think that he knew that he was going to come into camp and be hurt. Um, and that, that could, that could allow his contract toll. I think he's done with the saints, um, and I think that, you know, he'll, he'll be moving on. Um, and I, I'm not, I don't think he'll play again for the Saints. I just don't, I think some of these things that the players don't understand is that, or maybe they don't care about at least is that if you're going to orchestrate your way out and you want to continue playing, that means someone else has to want you. And when you do things like this and stories come out about you, like they have been, it's, you know, then then you're backed into the wall and every, every other NFL team is looking at it and saying like, well, we can be in the Saints shoes in a year and a half. You know, if, if the coach, uh, you know, criticizes them in a meeting, like in a way he doesn't like or something like that, like we could be in that, that same shoes and are we going to trade draft capital, take on that, you know, con, you know, take on the contract, you know, are we going to do all those things to facilitate a trade of someone who, you know, could, could again one out in another year and a half? I don't know. Well, you know, all that said, I think the NFL has repeatedly demonstrated that they are willing to take risks on talent. And, and we're only about a year away from everybody thinking that Michael Thomas was the best receiver in the league. So, um, you know, you, you even look at the Antonio Brown situation. That guy was a massive headache, but people made it work because of how I mean, how many chances did Antonio Brown get with the Raiders? I mean, so you, you look at it from that standpoint and, you know, there there is always going to be a team out there willing to take a risk. And listen, Michael Thomas is is a problem child, but, you know, that's not unusual for NFL players. I mean, he's never broken the law. I mean, we're not talking about somebody that's got, you know, uh, pending legal issues or anything like that. So, I mean, I, I think if you're taking a bet on talent, um, look, for example, I, I'll give you a really good example. If I'm a team and I'm looking at a case study on Stephon Diggs, if you remember, Diggs towards the end of his Vikings tenure was was a malcontent. 
Um, he was not happy there. He was very vocal about wanting out. And Buffalo took him in and, and you know, took a risk. And it paid off extremely well. Um, but then you go to the flip side, and it's the Antonio Brown case study with the Raiders. So I, I think that that there will be a home for Michael Thomas, regardless of his his antics that that you know lead to him leaving the Saints. I don't, um, think the Diggs, and I think he knows that. I don't think the Diggs comparison is is that great because he was yeah he wanted out, but he never treated like staffers like shit. He never you know punched teammates in the face. Like for, from all accounts, he was still an upstanding guy in the locker room. He just wasn't a huge fan of Kirk Cousins. I think the Antonio Brown one is much more in line with the Michael Thomas one. Um, not to insinuate Michael Thomas is a, you know, you know everything Antonio Brown is. Anything that Antonio Brown is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a bridge too far. I wouldn't, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't do that to Michael yeah. Thomas's reputation. There's, there's always a coaching staff that believes that we're we're the ones who can turn the guy around, the Raiders, right? John Gruden, the the Raiders, the Cowboys. You know, the, these are sort of the the landing pads for the Island of Misfit Toys. And we'll you know we'll just fix them up and we'll put get, you know put them through a, a, a rigorous you know whether it's therapy or they'll rehab him or you know it's always a someone who's got a good coach like a Ron Rivera or someone like Washington the Washington football team is a team that I could see absolutely making a move when it comes to Michael Thomas because you know Ron is a a high quality high character head coach he's a player coach he's got a he was a player in the NFL. Um, like a situation like that, they'll they'll jump. There's always one staff, and usually in the NFL, there's probably three or anywhere between three to seven that are always at a certain stage of the game. Like they're looking at themselves, going, "Yeah, this is the guy." And it usually depends on the player too. I mean, all, this whole thing comes down to the quality of the player and the age of the player, and just how big of a headache that they are. So you can easily make the case if I'm. I'm just trying to think of like the Washington football team was the one I brought up, but like Indianapolis with Frank Reich. Um, I can't think of another couple of examples, but some of those player coaches, um, you know, Baltimore, John Harbaugh, like making a deal for this type of player, they probably feel like they can turn him around. They probably feel like they can rehabilitate him. Their culture is more stable than new Orleans. And, and listen, Sean Payton, you know, Zach's completely right. Sean Payton has bungled this situation as well. Sean Payton could have just said, if he really wanted Michael Thomas that, Hey, you know what? Mike's taking care of his body in the way that is best for him. Uh, we look forward to him coming back. Like just give your stock generic answer. There's a reason that, that PR departments and coaches are taught to speak that way. Um, because it, it keeps issues like these under the rug and it doesn't create a fuss. It doesn't create a distraction, but Sean Payton has bungled this. Sean Payton is not the most mild mannered uh, players coach. And I, you know, another factor of this is Michael Thomas probably feels used for lack of a better term, because we're going to all, you know, get behind Drew Brees and we're all going to try to win Drew Brees, championship and Mike's going to play on you know hurt ankles or hurt knees or whatever bumps and bruises and nicks that he that he potentially had coming out of last year uh, or going into the playoffs last year and now all of a sudden it's you've done nothing to help the offense around me you didn't go out and pursue a quarterback that's any better than Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill 
and there's no signs that this offense is going to get more creative and is going to give me an opportunity to thrive and really, you know, regain my status as the NFL's number one receiver. So he probably feels used a little bit. Um, you know, it's kind of a give and take in, in really any relationship, whether it's work or, or personal. If I'm going to do for you, I would hope that you would accommodate and, and reciprocate. And it doesn't look like New Orleans has done anything like that for Michael Thomas. Um, which, again, weirdly enough, I feel like I'm somehow coming down on Michael Thomas's side of this whole thing. <laughs> well, I'm looking at the teams right now, and I feel like any team you throw out there that could want him, I feel like there are more cons to that acquisition there are pros for every single team in the NFL. The, you know, maybe it's the, the rebuild, maybe they're in a rebuild or maybe like the Colts, like I don't think the Colts would ever let someone like that into their culture. The Ravens, maybe a little bit more so. Um, Cowboys, they, they already have enough skill players. Like I, I feel like there's, there's no team in the NFL that would look at Michael Thomas who has been bothered by an an ankle injury for the last year. Haven't seen him play in a year or since the, since the uh, playoff loss and goes, yeah, we're going to invest what a a second, third or second or third round pick. Probably it would take to get him um, with the money. I don't think there's any team in the NFL that it's like the pros outweigh the cons to be honest. See, I I disagree. I, I think if I'm a GM after this season and I can, trade a third round pick for Michael Thomas. I'm absolutely doing it because the other thing you're looking at too, is if he doesn't end up playing all year or he really stays until he actually gets right, then that injury concern is behind him. Um, I, I there's, I, I would, I would venture to say two thirds of the league would, would, would trade a third round pick for, for Michael Thomas. Um, you know, he's still, you know, in his prime, um, he's coming off. Yeah. One bad year, but at the end of the day, I mean, he was, unquestionably the best receiver in football in, in 2020, I guess it was 2019. Um, well, that be the case I, I, season. I just don't think like this season he get like, Oh, in season. Yeah. No. I can't yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. I, I, in, but I see yeah, your point season, though. No. After the season, I, yeah. I can see the flyer, but like, I don't see how he plays for the saints this year. And I don't see how he gets moved this year either. Oh, I would, I would really do this a lot of in season ones. The, but it's in becoming trades, more. I mean. It's becoming more prominent in the NFL, and I absolutely, I don't for whatever reason I just don't feel like the Saints are going to deal him. Um, but in a in a hypothetical, I'd absolutely make a deal for him at the deadline, which I think is like week eight. Yeah. Um, receivers one, they don't they don't have to pick up that much of the offense. Um, you know, their routes, a lot of the route combinations that all these teams use are fairly common across the board. Well, he only has a one bit, anyway, so. Well, he only has the <laughs> one, right? Um, but the terminology is is different, um, so he'll have to pick that up. But that's as, that's as simple as literally coming out of the huddle and going to the quarterback, what do I run, and then running it. Um, this this isn't that complex. Um, it's not like it's a quarterback coming in midseason uh, or a center who has to make all the line calls. You know, some of those types of th- positions are harder to trade for. Um, but that's why you're seeing like wide receivers get traded, defensive linemen. Like, go rush the passer. I don't need you to know yeah. anything else about my defensive scheme. Go rush the passer on third down. That's that's why some of these positions are a running back. Like, I'm gonna hand you the ball, find the hole, and go. Like, that's it's it's fairly simplistic once you get the terminology down so trading for a receiver i don't think is overly complex um 
And listen, I understand that this dude was blanked by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which, by the way, like won the Super Bowl. They were a buzzsaw in the playoffs. And that defense far and above exceeded um, the way they had performed for most of the regular season. But let's not forget Divisional round game against Chicago, seven catches, 73 yards, and a touchdown. Pretty classic Michael Thomas stat line. And then go back um, for the the last two weeks of the season. Uh, two where I think he didn't play in, in maybe the, the final week of the season. 11 for 105 against Atlanta. And then eight for 84 against Philadelphia. Um Six for 50 against Denver in November, and then another game in November, uh, 12 for 104. Like, he was still incredibly effective when he did play. Um, his worst stat line from a game that he probably played the, the full game um, was, I think, three for 17 against Tampa Bay, but I think he got hurt in that game. Um, but five for 51, I mean, he he was pretty effective when he did play. So as far as I'm concerned, if I'm a team who is sitting there, I'm in the thick of a divisional race, I'm likely a playoff contender regardless of conference, and I can duck off a, you know, even a second, third round pick, I'm all for this. Um, I don't know how much time he has left on his deal, if anyone can find that while I'm, while I'm talking, but... If I'm Indianapolis and I'm in the thick of a division hunt, that may be hard with Carson Wentz out or whoever their quarterback is. Um, but there's Washington football team. You know, there's probably a few other ones that I can go through and name. Chicago, if they're if they're in the thick of things and they need someone uh, uh, opposite Allen Robinson, I mean, I'm pulling the trigger on this. Green Bay could try to do it. Um, he can probably replace Randall Cobb. Um, LOL. But yeah, if I'm if I'm a contender, if I'm looking for a player to put me over the top, and I want to bring an, an uh, additional dynamic to my offense, I mean, my goodness, Kansas City, they have. I mean, I'm sure they could find some cockamamie way to shift around cap in order to make it happen. There's there's plenty of teams that need a number two wide receiver uh, or even a number one. It's a no brainer to me. So the the contract, and it's interesting because this this kind of this kind of illustrates my point. No, so it goes through 2024, but you know, as as we all know with NFL contracts, a lot of that's monopoly money. Um, there are zero dollars guaranteed in salary um, after uh, in in 2022. So after this year, um, and really, it's only a a million guaranteed on top of the now. There's an 8.9 um, prorated bonus, but there's only a million dollars guaranteed salary after this this year. Um, now there's there's a couple more years of term on that, but um, zero dollars guaranteed after, after this year. Yeah. I'm looking at the contract and I'm not as, I'm not an expert on this. Like I probably should be, but it looks like there's a, an out after this year, after 2022, at least. And his base salary jumps from a million up to 15.3 million. So there's some, I mean, there's some dead cap concerns there for the saints there's some, you know, if you're going to keep this guy past this year, there's some financial manipulation you're going to have to do if you're the team acquiring them. The only teams I think that would make sense would be desperate teams in win-now mode, which I think is limited to the Cardinals and the Raiders. I think those are the only two teams. I mean, both of them would have to, 
um, you know, finagle things financially after this year. But those are the two teams I think that that it, I would think could could construct a reason as to trade for him. Cliff and Gruden both being in win now mode. Everything else, I think, you know, if you're Washington, you're like, hey, I kind of like where my receivers are at, and I don't know if I want to bring in, you know, the Michael Thomas um, sideshow in. If you're the Chiefs, I think that, you know, the Chiefs you could make a you could you could twist your brain around too. I think to your point, Matt. But every, everything else, I don't really, I don't see a fit anywhere else. I got one. I got a real good one. Okay, what's that? Urban Meyer. Oh no, <laughs> Ohio yeah, State. Ohio State. Yeah, that's right. But I'm not saying that they should do it, right? Yeah. I'm saying that Urban Meyer is is crazy enough to do it. Re- reunite his Ohio State band. You know, the way Urban Meyer's got it, um, he'll have Travis Etienne playing the X. He'll have Michael <laughs> yeah. Thomas playing playing tight end, Tim Tebow at running back. Um, and that's that's sort of the Urban Meyer methodology at this point. Yeah, I totally forgot about the Ohio State connection there. That's right. Yeah, I, they do have yeah. a cap space for it. But then but they're not like do. competitive. They're not like in a competitive competitive place where it's like he's going to put them over the edge and maybe they look at it as a as a more longer term investment but i feel like tying up that much money because they have decent receivers now that it's like you know hey we're going to spend on our disastrous offensive line see Um, yeah but they're not urban meyer guys those receivers aren't urban's guys it's true See, I do want to point out, though, maybe by way of, of transition, that um, you know they may the Jaguars may not be competitive now. Um, that may change in the middle of this season if the Colts can't figure out their quarterback situation, because all of a sudden you can make a pretty decent case, uh, given the inju- injuries that the Colts have had, that the Jaguars could finish in the in in the two spot in the in the AFC South. Oh, Bill, you would love that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Go back and listen to the prediction show just to know why Bill would love that. Titans all the way, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Bat and I were heavy on the Colts winning the division. Bill was all on the Titans. Um, And man, we look kind of, we look silly right now. We'll definitely have to make some revisions of those predictions. Uh, Is that how, is that how predictions work? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's how they work on this show. Damn right. Um, Anything else on Michael Thomas? Not no, a fun just, guy. Probably terrible no. at parties. Yeah, probably not fun to hang out with. But for whatever reason, I'm just in his corner. For I, I did not expect that. I did yeah. not like come onto this program and plug my my microphone in to be like, yeah, I'm gonna defend Michael Thomas today. Well, I had a similar thought when I was thinking about this, and we started talking about Sean Payton. I'm like, this guy is part of the reason this got so bad. Um, and yeah, he deserves part of the culpability as well. Um. But, Bill, you mentioned a transition. Where did you want to go? So I, I want to ask you guys something. Um, if, you are, if you are the Colts, because um, it, it came out today that um, Sam Ellinger, their six-round pick out of Texas, is now going to be splitting first-team reps with Jacob Eason, who was their presumptive um, backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. If you are the GM of, of the Colts, do you reach for uh, a, an outside quarterback? Do you stick with who you have? And regardless of whether you're reaching outside for a quarterback or you're picking from what you have already, who are you going into week one with? Oh, that's a heavy question. Um, what quarterbacks are available? Phil Rivers? Uh, Phil, run that uh, back. Who else? 
uh, Phil Rivers, Nick Foles, which I would, Nick I would Foles. love to see that, but that Frank Reich would never do that, though. I don't think. That's uh, possible. Josh Rosen. Oh, okay, let's not get wild and crazy here. Though. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a bridge too far. I'm just thinking of guys that you could that you could get right now. He's like the 49ers, like fifth string quarterback. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're just like he's like their towel boy or something. I know. I, I I don't know who else. Like a Bridgewater, maybe, but he's already. I mean, someone could seem to. He's do in that the thick again. of a. So yeah, he's in the thick the, of a battle. The the names that have been have been floated around. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo potentially via trade. Okay. Nick Foles, who you guys mentioned, um, or Marcus Mariota, um, who is currently still a Raider. Um, but you know, would probably be available via trade. Um, or do you have a preference between either Ellinger or Jacob Eason? Not that I think you guys are Jacob Eason experts, but just I was just curious. Like, what do you do? Like, are you trying to trade for somebody, or, or are you just sticking it out until Wentz comes back? I think you have well, to pick up the phone and make dials. Blake Bortles is also out there too. Um, yeah. I think you have to make dials. Whether you pull the trigger or not, I think is a different different story. They may also wait to see who gets cut. You know, like. Could Garoppolo get cut if he doesn't take a pay cut, which I imagine they're going to ask him to do before the season starts. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't a big Easton fan when he was coming out of college, but if you pump him up as much as, as much as they have been, I feel like you got to give him a shot. Ellinger, Ellinger was always fun to watch in college. Um, those like Bill, you made a point before we started talking, and I won't steal all your thunder, but you know he was fun to watch in those Big Twelve games, uh, going up and down the field. Um, if I'm making an offer on anyone, it's probably going to be Garoppolo or Mariota. Um, but I'm probably going to wait. I would say until the next middle of next week before I make the trade. You don't want too much time to go by, but I still think you got to see what you got. Yeah, fair enough, Matt. How about you? Yeah, I think you. I think you need part of it's going to be one. I want to understand what I have in Sam Ellinger and Jacob Eason. Um, We we've harped so much on this show about how developmental quarterbacks are never given an opportunity to develop. Um, This is a prime opportunity to try to develop somebody. Because um, Carson Wentz is is not a surefire thing from a health perspective, and even coming into this year, I mean, he was he was a real big question mark for that organization. So, um, you know, the Nick Foles thing would be hilarious, <laughs> but it would also be very detrimental to Carson Wentz. And the Colts have invested pretty heavily in him. I just don't see that happening. I like the Mariota idea. Um, I think that bodes well with the type of offense that the Colts run um, and the the style that Frank Wright uh, has implemented. Um, remember, he was kind of the forerunner of the RPO stuff when Wentz was, had his kind of MVP caliber season. Um, so I think that's a, and Mario is a good fit for that style of offense. Um, the question is, what's that really going to cost? Um, and I don't, I don't know. Some of these other guys you guys kind of mentioned, Jimmy Garoppolo, I just highly doubt that San Francisco is going to part with him. I know Trey Lance has supposedly looked good in camp, but so has literally everyone who is in camp at this mm-hmm. point in time. That's just I, I, unless I'm sitting there watching the practices, which by the way I'm not watching 49ers training camp practices during the day. I don't know how he looks, but a couple of names that I would think about. Oh, you, you guys all also mentioned Philip Rivers. Philip came out and mentioned that he was not willing to come back until late in the season. So he basically opened the door to a comeback, but basically said, I'm coaching high school football. I will, I, if I were to come back, it would be later in the season. 
So I think Phil is probably targeting, you know, if someone gets hurt and a team, you know, a contender needs a quarterback to maybe try to run them through into the playoffs or something like that. Um, you know, I, I could see Phil coming back for that type of scenario. He also has mentioned that he didn't work out, so he's not ready to come back. It's going to take him a couple of months to get ready. Um, but a couple of names that I'll just kind of throw out of guys that I think could be could be interesting. Someone's going to lose out on the Josh Dobbs, Mason Rudolph, Dwayne Haskins deal in Pittsburgh. So one of those guys is going to be available. They've all played significant snaps in this league i would wait to see how that pans out um you could potentially contact the buffalo bills about mitchell trubisky someone who i think you know he's much maligned in chicago but at the right price um i could easily see them i mean, the bills last year went through with matt barkley as their backup they could easily pick matt bark barkley back up and and trade mitch trubisky if if the deal was right from the colts um you know he was maligned in chicago but i really think that he in the right coaching he's got some tools um that under the right coaching i think he could be successful um another name that i'll throw out and this guy just kind of he, he just signed a contract with espn but he's only 31 years old he fits the style of offense they'd want to run Robert Griffin III played significant backup snaps in the NFL. Obviously, he's been a starter. Um, was kind of trapped behind Lamar Jackson in, in Baltimore, but when he played, played relatively well. Um, definitely someone that I would pick off uh, up off the street and and give him a shot in camp if he, if he so choosed. Um, but... There was one other name. Oh, and I already mentioned this person um, with Buffalo, Matt Barkley. Um, if you wanted to grab Matt Barkley, this is a guy who, you know, has, again, has played significant steps. He's had 300-yard games. He's been relatively productive. Um, his career probably hasn't panned out quite the way that he maybe would have hoped. Uh, but the talent and the pedigree is there, and he's been, he's been effective when he has been given the opportunity to play. I think Tyrod Taylor could also be an option too. I'm sure the Texans really wouldn't mind. You know, they're a mess this year, and you know, I'm sure they wouldn't mind giving him up to speed up the rebuild. I just feel like anyone you're bringing in won't start week one. Like you're, it's either Eason or Ellinger for week one, just based on you know the first game is what like almost a month away to the day. Mm-hmm. I, I just yeah. don't see anyone that you bring in unless they have experience with Frank Reich and that offense to be able to come in and start by week one. So I, I think anyone that you're bringing in is more of a, you know, maybe week three, week four type of player. Um, if, if at all, if it is someone who's good enough to start like Josh Dobbs or Matt Barkley, like I feel like they're, you know, they're going to be inactive for the seat. You know, they're going to be the third quarterback. I don't know if they yeah. have that much of a talent increase over, Barkley or, or not Barkley uh, Ellinger or uh, or uh, Eason the, yeah. the guy who could the guy who could step in right away who knows the system and could be your week one starter in this limited time frame I hate to say it is Nick Foles <laughs> God it just, I, it right. just that would be, is that would be great that would be it's, so he's, great he's the he would be the person ideally if I were in the GM chair um, and I know there's, if, if I were sort of taking the, the psychological implications out of it, it would be Nick <laughs> Foles. Actually, one other name that just jumped to the top of my mind, 
someone who is not really thrilled with their situation, but there would be no way for you to get him because he's a divisional rival would be Gardner Minshew. Yeah. Yeah. But he'd probably cost you, one. he'd cost you a premium because it's an interdivisional trade. Uh, unless you'd have to hope that the Jaguars would for some reason cut him, but I don't see why they would. No. Oh, Nick Foles. Oh, please make yeah. it happen. Well, my my opinion is that you stick with uh, with Eastner Ellinger, but I I give the edge to, to Ellinger. Um, you know, there's something to be said, and, and even in our conversations around Trey Lance, you know, there's something to be said for the amount of games played in college and the experience that that you have. Um, and I was telling you guys before we started recording, you know, one of the things that you know. If, if I'm bored on a, on a Saturday, which, you know, happens <laughs> less and less. Um, but, but when I am the one, the one brand of football I want to watch is big 12 football because it's so much fun to watch. Nobody plays any defense. Um, you know, people just rack up stats and, and it's just, it's just fun to watch. And, and so I, I got the chance to, to watch Sam Ellinger, um, quite a bit. And, you know, the comp and it's interesting cause Matt, you mentioned him. Um, but I could see Sam Ellinger being like a, good Mitchell Trubisky at his ceiling, um, you know, cause we had, we had like a couple of those good Mitch games that were few and far between, but, but I could see that because Ellinger does bring that, that threat of, of running the ball. And I think that that's why they're giving him an extended look in Colts camp. Cause Eason really doesn't bring that to the table and you're going to have to be creative about how you manufacture uh, scores until Wentz comes back, uh, especially and and you know arguably this might even be just as big of a news as um, Carson Wentz. But with Quentin Nelson um, hurt with I think the exact same injury that Wentz has, um, that's severely going to impact your entire offense, particularly your running game. So. Um, you know, if, if Ellinger and Eason are even close in camp, I give the edge to Ellinger because he does add that rushing element. He ran, uh, I mean, I, I'm pulling up the, the, the stats in front of me here, but he ran for 33 touchdowns in, in, in the Big 12 at Texas. Um, you know, he, he never had fewer than, you know, call it 350 yards rushing. Um, but he was no slot throwing the ball either. The last two years at, at Texas, he, uh, his TD interception rate was 32, 10 and 26, five. Um, I think one of the knocks on him was that he was a little bit slower, um, in, in processing his reads, which is, which is, you know, deadly in the NFL, but not something that if you simplify the offense a little bit that you can't overcome, um, so I'm, I'm actually kind of curious to, to watch the, the preseason games to see how they divvy up the workload. Cause I, I am, uh, I would be more excited about Ellinger than I am about Eason just because I've seen Ellinger more, but, um, I just, I, I agree with both of you guys. I don't, I don't necessarily know if it makes sense to go outside unless it's a guy that knows the offense like a Nick Foles, but I, I just, I, I like Carson Wentz too much to do that to him as a person. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's my outlook. I can't remember who I thought Ellinger played like um, when we did our quarterback episode. I don't know if, if we even talked about him, but I know I watched his tape and I can't remember for the life of me who I thought he was. But the thing I liked about him at Texas was the guy, uh, he he cared, he played hard, he wasn't afraid to take hits, like he put his body in the line to win, and he always had Texas coming back. I felt like every Saturday it was Sam Ellinger, ball with three minutes left, uh, and Texas down by six points, and half the time he threw a pick, and then the other half he scored. It just I, I always felt like it was that every 
um, every Sunday. I do have an interesting question though about you bring up a good point with Quentin Nelson and Matt. Do you have anything else on Ellinger or Easton? No, go for it. Go for it. Okay, so Nelson Wentz, same injury, uh, five to twelve weeks. Uh, wide, wide um, estimate on how much time they could miss. You get to pick one of them to have to be back in five weeks, one of them back in twelve weeks. Which one are you having come back? Uh, when? Uh, it's 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 Nelson and five and Wentz and twelve. Um, and I say that because you know, and you just watched it. You just watched two guys, uh, Steve Hutchison and Al, and Alan Fanica. Um, get elected to the Hall of Fame over the weekend. Um, but you need to be able to have the threat to run the ball, and you still have that with, with, with Nelson. Um, and and I, I don't like to bash Wentz, but Wentz was no great shakes, and I understand he had some injury issues, but he is far from a known quantity at, at this stage. I, you know, the, the question was if the Colts could ever rehabilitate him. Right now, if you were telling me that this was Carson Wentz from his his uh, days where, you know, he was almost the MVP, you know, through, you know, whatever half the season before he got hurt, then absolutely Wentz. Um, but this was this was a guy with question marks even coming into the season. And you can go back and, and check the AFC South episode because I, I talked about this at length. Um, so I'd rather have the sure thing in Quentin Nelson earlier um, and, and Wentz maybe for the stretch run. Now, that's probably counter to, to most people's outlook. They want the quarterback back first. But, you know, that's that's how I look at it. I agree with you, Bill. I think Nelson touches a lot. Well, doesn't touch a lot more of that team, but matters more, I think, than Wentz does. Yeah, I'll, I'll go against the grain okay. here. Um, it's quarter listen quarterbacks make the football football world go round Mm -hmm. i mean they just do um they they get you into the right offense um they are able to uh, to expand you know the the biggest strength the colts have is the run game now i know nelson is a huge part of that i'm not discounting that but they do have several good offensive linemen um that i think can pick up the slack um but if it's me and I don't have my quarterback, I'm facing stacked boxes with Jonathan Taylor. Um, I just I just don't know how this offense goes. And to hand that to a rookie in Sam Ellinger or a second-year guy in Jacob Eason, who I don't recall playing a lot of games at Washington – uh, a couple years ago, so I this wasn't a guy that had any snaps. I I would rather go with Wentz, and I would I would hope that he can help Michael Pittman take a step forward, that he can distribute the ball um, to Naheem Hines and and T Y Hilton. So I think I think for me, this having the quarterback opens up the offense so much more. And really is a help to your run game. Um, so I'll, I'm going to lean with Wentz here. I just had another name that, that cropped up that they could potentially trade for. But again, they would have to trade and it would probably cost them is Jacoby Brissett. If you're the Dolphins, though, you're like, sorry, man, that ship has sailed. You have to give us quite a bit for yeah. that. And I feel like yeah, the, that's all, yeah, the Dolphins yeah. are going to be one name. of the. It's a good thought, though. Yeah, the Dolphins are going to be one of the teams that I feel like are right there, you know, on the playoff edge, and maybe they 
don't want to help you know a, a conference rival out like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I was just just I'm, yeah, I was no. just thinking of somebody who easily could could step right in because they know the offense. They've been. Um, oh, another person, Brian Hoyer, in New England. I don't think he's going to remain with the um, with the Colts, or I'm sorry, he's with the Patriots right now. Um, and they've got Cam and Mac, so maybe Brian Hoyer is another one they could bring in. Sorry, I know I'm, I'm backtracking us towards a, the previous segment, but just random thoughts that are sparking in my mind. Yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna take Quentin Nelson for underneath, you know, or to be back in five weeks, Bill, for the same reason he did. The, he's the sure thing, and once you don't know what you're getting, and I would rather have you know the, the future Hall of Famer back. Eason, to your point, Matt played 13 games as a freshman in Georgia. He only played three his sophomore year. Was that who would have that would have that been? Uh, Hurts, that would have been his year that he came in and put Easton to the bench, um, or did he get hurt or something like that? And then he transferred to Washington to play yeah. his junior year. Yeah. So, I know Hurts was Alabama. I get Alabama and Georgia quarterbacks confused so so often. So yeah. Was often. it um, Jake Fromm? Yes, that's who was it was. It? Yeah, I think okay. it's Fromm. Yeah. Hurts was Alabama. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what I'm thinking. Yeah, so, he was Alabama so then really, Oklahoma. Yeah, so really, you're looking at uh, total total D1 games played in a span between 2016 and 2019. Um, Eason played 29. 20, uh, 29 games. Yeah, and Ellinger played. He's the Carl, he's, 30, 36 games. Yeah, Carl Krauser of Texas. Yeah, Carl yeah. Krauser. Much I love. Think, I think the other the other component to why I would take Wentz, um, kind of refocusing my thoughts here, is I I want the largest sample size that I can get from Carson Wentz because this injury now kicks the can down the road, and it's another excuse to say, well, Wentz was hurt in Philly. Well, he had you know issues in Philly with the coaching staff, or you know psychological, or injury histories, or whatever it's been, right? Like there's there's all these different things that he's sort of had that he's had a, you know sort of crutches and excuses to lean on. Not to say that they're not valid, um, but this is just another one of those those items where if I have him for from week twelve. To, to week 18, I've got him for six weeks, potentially. If I have him from week five, I've got a much larger sample size because at the end of this year, I need to make an evaluation. This is a playoff caliber roster. This is the team that gave Buffalo the toughest game. Um, actually, not the toughest game. They actually played a, a pretty decent gambit, but they gave Buffalo a tough game last year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this was an AFC championship team. So I need to know if Carson Wentz is the guy. And if he's not, I need to make alternate plans. Uh, Maybe I'm pursuing Aaron Rodgers at the end of the year. There's going to be a lot of quarterback carousel happening here. So I want the largest sample size that I can get of Carson Wentz. So I actually know at the end of this year, what's my path forward. See, with the sample size, though, I think it – and this is where I would disagree with you on that because this is well going back. This is why you have to be careful what you wish for with Carson Wentz because if the Colts don't have any, they're not tied to you at all. The less he plays, 
the lower the draft pick they have to give the Eagles for him. So if he doesn't play, you know, 70% of the snaps, then only a second round pick goes there. But if you're, if you're still in Philadelphia, you know, you had an MVP type season for them, you helped get them to a Super Bowl, you know, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt most of the time, but you couldn't handle, you know, having a competent backup behind you and you crumbled. And now you're with an organization that doesn't, that doesn't, has not, they're not emotionally as tied to you. So if you can't get healthy, they don't have to see a sample size. It's just like, we're over it. You can't stay healthy. You're done. We'll go pursue Aaron Rodgers regardless of what's going on. And I think this is why if you're Carson Wentz, this might, you know, you might've played yourself a little bit, but I almost think it works in the Colts favor not to have him play. Uh, if, if, if they're, if, if they can see the future, which obviously no one can, and say we're not a Super Bowl team this year, well then it, it works their benefit not to have one's play because then you're then you're just sending a second round pick as opposed to a first round pick over for them. So I, I don't yeah. know if the Colts necessarily want to see uh, the sample size um, from Wentz. It's either like, hey, you're going to play for us, you're going to be good, or you know you're just going to sit on IR or something like that. So yeah, I do want to I do want to issue a, a, a correction. Um, Ellinger played 46 games, not 36 games. I, I think I said 36, and I didn't want everybody to think I was a dummy. So, <laughs> uh, how many? That's what 12 game, like 12 games a year, 11 games a year. Yeah, just yeah, just about. Uh, so nine, 14, 13, and 10. Okay. Hmm. Uh, I just, and I'm also not a big Wentz fan. I think he's a little bit of a wuss. So, not uh, oh. not physically, uh, 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 mentally. Um. So didn't mean That's to take that loss. Shot there. That, that, makes, loss, that, that makes it better. That last shot at uh, Wentz there. Sorry. Um, yeah, I'm like we're just an, about I'm to move on. I'm a NFL player. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, your body's fine. It's just your brain that I hate. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So anything else in the Colts? Negatory. It's a shame. Nah. They have a great team. Falling apart. Uh-oh. Though. Falling apart. Uh-oh. Breaking. What? Du, uh, Chiefs offensive lineman Duvernay Tardif hand to miss four to six weeks. Okay, that's the answer. Yeah, but they hand. also have like they also have like yeah. ten offensive linemen. Yeah, I know, but yeah. why don't you just make it a club? A hand injury for an yeah. offensive lineman, like just ball that thing up, man. We don't need to miss four to six weeks. Patrick, Lewis yeah. Style. Actually, that that actually segues nicely into one of the um, one of the other things I wanted to talk about, which was just general fantasy football advice. And fantasy Wait, football how advice. Does that segue to fantasy? Uh, and I'll tell you exactly how <laughs> okay. it segues. When you're evaluating injuries um, for for fantasy football or for you know fantasy football adjacent, i.e., offensive linemen, if they've got a bad wheel, i.e., anything you know below the knees, problem. Don't draft them. If it's a hand <laughs> or a shoulder, draft them. You're all right. Wait, draft offensive line? Wait, are you talking about? Wait, what? So if you're looking at players to, to take on your fantasy football team, for example, um, and you're evaluating somebody that's injured, um, if they have a, you know, call okay. it a you know, okay. two to three week timeline and it's their foot or ankle or knee, avoid. I if it's a elbow or a hand or a shoulder, eh, they'll numb it up and they'll be fine. Okay, I thought you were talking about like drafting offense line. I'm like in our league, we're not drafting offensive linemen. Wait, I we're not want, drafting. <laughs> I kind of went in on that league though. I, I think we start three offensive linemen. Uh, it, that would we be don't do sweet. That? We should. It's, we a, should it's start, a flex. It's a flex. <laughs> yeah, it's a flex. <laughs> another another flex. <laughs> we should start with uh, IDP players here eventually. We'll have to set the ground. Oh god, absolutely. I will quit. No IDP <laughs> okay, players. Rex. That's ridiculous. Okay. All no, right. I will quit. I don't care. I don't care. Rex, right? I w- I would quit. 
<laughs> well, he was going to quit when we went to decimals. Sorry, if you're listening, you have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> we, we have uh, Us three have been in a fantasy league for 18 years now. Same league. Um, great owners. Great competition. And that's kind of what our lives revolve around from July to December. Uh, or at least I should say, I should speak for myself. At least mine does. Um, so we're in the thick of fantasy football season. And fantasy football prep season. Fantasy football prep season. And Bill, you said you wanted to talk about tips. Yeah, I, I was I was wondering if, if if we could just take a second, you know, for the listeners, because I'm sure if, if you're listening to, to this podcast, you probably also play fantasy football because, you know, you're you're listening to to this podcast. Um, so I was just curious if you had, you know, maybe we can just do like a, a around the horn kind of thing. But um, do you have any tips or tricks that you use um, when preparing? Like what what advice would you give? the average listener when um, not talking in season, just for fantasy football preparation. Hmm. I think mine, I'll go first. Mine would be just to, you know, try, you know, listen to yourself, believe in yourself, whatever strategy you want. Um, I very Zen advice. I mean, I think it is. Believe in yourself. (laughs) Believe in yourself. Well, here's, here's what I'm saying because, Okay, there's I I hate I hate losing and I think the only thing that'd be worse than losing would be losing because I listen to somebody else. Like I think of those people and some of you listening to this might not be old enough to remember when Michael Vick had his incredible season for the Eagles. Like these dolts like Matthew Barry came out the next season and said, you know, hey, take him, you know, in the first round. And then last year, you know, Matthew you know, Matthew Barry and that crowd was like Oh well, you know, uh, Clyde edwards Elair should be the you know could be the first pick in the in the draft um, because he has that type of skill set. Like I can't imagine listening to those guys, making my decisions based off what they say, and then having the seasons that they do, and then just like existing for six months, knowing that I, you know, I left my fantasy um, uh, season in. Uh, and the guy who's just trying to give hot takes and get clicks. So I, I would just say, trust yourself. You like a player, draft them. You don't, don't draft them. Who gives a shit what, you know, the every, every other fantasy analyst thinks at least go down with your strategy or win with your strategy much more fulfilling. So that's what would be my big thing is, is trust yourself, but believe in yourself. Interesting. Matt, what do you got? Um, I think, you know, one of the most important so first, some, some context for the listener. Um, four years ago, I, well, okay. So last year and the year before, I was really bad. And two years prior to that, I had gone to back-to-back championships winning one of two. And the thing that I think differentiated why I was performing so well and then immediately dropped off was I stopped doing this and I tried to change my draft methodology. I went from um, doing mock drafts and exercising my decision-making muscle to cultivating these cockamamie draft plans where like I, I targeted specific players and tried to ideate on, okay, here's the, dra- the round where I think they'll be available. And the draft plan really hamstrung me. And because I had targeted guys and, and I was sort of like, oh no, like this is going to go sort of in direct contrast to what Zach said. Like, I believe in this guy. I'm going to go get him. 
regardless of positional value or, 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 you know, ADP. Yeah. If you like them, go for it, you know? Yeah. And I just, I, that just didn't work for me. Right. So what I did was, um, in the years I've been successful is I did a lot of mock drafting. There's tools you can use online. If you were listening to the show, you probably know what those are. Um, or even just like make a spreadsheet. If you know your league well enough, we've been in our league for 18 years. So I know kind of the way people's minds work and how they make decisions and what they value. So I can at least try to make an educated guess of what they'll do. And that just exercise my decision-making muscle and, and play different scenarios in your head. Oh, this person took the running back I wanted. Does that mean I need to reach for another running back or should I just take the best player available um, and cultivate your own rankings? Like don't just don't go off of like, you know, Yahoo or, or ESPN or NFL network, like those stock rankings, like understand how you feel about each player, rank them accordingly. So stay true to yourself in that regard, um, but don't forsake talent because you have some preconceived plan or you have some preconceived idea on positional value. Um, so I think just using mock drafts as a way to exercise that decision-making muscle is really valuable. I will echo that. Last year, uh, my I, the person I and we we play keeper league with bonus picks if you don't keep someone so first round picks you know our first round picks probably aren't your first round picks but I will I, I my strategy was dead set on Devonte Adams in the first round and I didn't and like for the fifth pick and I didn't I thought there was no way anyone would take him and Kevin took him so Kevin if you're listening thank you last year right before me and it you know, kind of threw me off. And that was again, targeting one player. So to make the rest of the team work. And I mean, I, I was right. I would have been right, but it, I didn't get them. So tough. Doesn't matter if you were right. Um, so yeah, I can yeah, 100% what, but, agree with that. But what you ended up doing, if I recall, and, and I don't, you, you just picked the next, next best available wide receiver. I took Hopkins, which who I was okay with, but I had to convince, cause I had, I'd run those scenarios in my head. If, Adams went would I be happy with Hopkins and I convinced myself that I I, I would have been even though I really wasn't um, but yeah I, I just I just went okay well I, I I plan for this I'm gonna go Hopkins even though it was it was not ideal and I you know probably it, there was a lot of wishful thinking involved in that strategy last year so yeah don't target yeah. specific people uh, unless you're picking first and know who's available yeah exactly and just don't pigeon yourself into like everyone goes into these like I'm doing the, you know, this year I'm doing the, the late quarterback, uh, no, you know, yeah. stream my running back strategy. So all I do is take wide receivers and tight ends. Then I, I end up with like, I'll throw a random name out like Tevin Coleman and, and Latavius Murray. Yeah. Right. As my running backs, like don't do like, don't co- go into it. Cause that's what I was doing. Like, don't go into it with like, I have to take a running back. And it's got to be running back, receiver, running back, tight end, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, running back, and then do quarterback like super late. Or like these these preconceived draft strategies, they're all dumb. Just pick the best players available. <laughs> like they're all super dumb. Um, with the exception players. of people that take quarterbacks like super duper high. Um, you can take the the premier quarterbacks at a at a feasible place for them. But like... 
doing doing some of these like if you read it on espn.com that's like this year i'm doing the wide receiver wide receiver tight end strategy like that's that's fucking dumb um do like just pick the good players diatribe over no good points great points so so my my tidbit um i think goes a little bit more to maximizing your roster and i mean a couple different things by that uh, number one, I think there's always a temptation um, to pick guys that are, you know, uh, what you would perceive to be a value, um, but they are suspended or they're hurt or anything like that. And, and those types of things can work out, but you have to understand the opportunity cost of rostering that person until they come back. Now, if somebody's going to be out two weeks, then okay, I get that. But if somebody's going to be out, Michael Thomas, perfect example. He's going to be out eight eight weeks. Let's call it. Yeah, he's a great receiver, and he comes back, and he may put up put up stats. But you are you got that roster spot taken up for half of the season, um, and and you need to, in my opinion, you've got to keep your roster as flexible as possible because at the end of the day, to get to the playoffs in fantasy, you need to win enough games, you know, week over week. And if you're limiting your ability to do that by rostering guys that are inactive for whatever reason or they're hurt, um, a lot of times that that leads to you know a, a mediocre start that even if the person comes back and and can be good, can't be overcome um, in in terms of making the playoffs. The other thing that that I would highly advise is I feel like a lot of people, especially at the running back position. Um, handcuff everybody um that that you know so they're they're first string running back they will they'll take his backup you know and sometimes you have to pay a, a higher premium especially if they're not a premier back now if you get christian mccaffrey or dalvin cook yeah you should you should handcuff them for sure um i, I notice a lot of people don't do that and if, if you have one of those premier backs you absolutely should handcuff them it's it's borderline negligent not to um, you know, I even look at, 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 you know, our league last year. Um, and you know, I was able to, to grab a guy who wasn't handcuffed on an elite offense. Um, and you know, I, Mike I Davis. had, yeah, Mike Davis and you know, he, he paid dividends for me right away. Um, and, and as a, as the, the owner of, you know, your Christian McCaffrey's and Dalvin cooks, you leave it to chance unless you've got the number one waiver priority that you may not be able to re- replace that production. Um, on the flip side of that coin, I also handcuffed James Conner, right? Because he was my, he was my (laughs) other pick and, um, I got Benny Snell out of that. Right. And I, I spent the entire year with Benny Snell on my roster and at times Anthony McFarlane, the third string running back for the Steelers. So, um, that is an example of how not to wisely use roster space. So when you're drafting, Think about the back that you're taking, and if it is somebody that's got a clear backup, and they have a, a, a you know, a, I would call it a top ten outlook, then yeah, absolutely handcuff them. But if you're handcuffing your your RB two, who's you know projected to be somewhere you know between you know the 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 25th to 30th um, you know scoring running back that year, you're doing yourself a disservice by handcuffing that guy because you're going to get probably the same production because he's working with the same offense and the same offensive line and the same scheme. Um, Don't make sure that all of your roster spots 
are roster spots that you can that you can turn to and that are going to be useful to you versus dead weight. Um, so that's that's one tip that I would give everybody. So if you draft Devin Singletary this year, don't handcuff him with Matt Preda. Yes, that's exactly the point I'm making. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I think another one I have, and this is not necessarily maybe playing fantasy. This is more for the commissioners out there. Um, I'm currently the commissioner of our league. Bill was the uh, commissioner, the originator of the league um, before me. And I would just say, and I, and I will say this, I am blessed um, to have a group of owners that does not give almost zero bullshit uh, throughout the year. They don't, you know, there's no crisis or there's no conspiracy. I mean, they're awesome in that regard. Um, I have to take a few jabs here and there, um, teasing wise, but that's, that's fine. But if you're a commissioner, don't let BS happen in your league. Um, don't veto trades, you know, be assertive, um, you know, you, you are probably the commissioner because people trust you and you have good judgment. Use that judgment. Don't let crises burn out of control, you know, be assertive, use your power, make a rolling stick to it. So I think, you know, I, I know there's a couple of my friends that are in leagues that are horribly run and, you know, just be smart when you're making your decisions, be assertive, um, and be smart and just think what is fair to everybody. Um, so Bill, I don't know, you, you were the commissioner before me, anything along those lines? Um, well, I mean, I, I now it's a little bit different cause I was managing, you know, high school and college kids yeah, yeah, <laughs> now we're all grown adults. So it's yeah. a little bit less. Um, but, but listen, there's always going to be something that comes up and, you know, all you can do is, is hear both sides out. And the worst thing that you can do to be honest is, is leave it up to the league. Yeah. Um, 100%. make make a call, stick with your call, but have a rationale for why you're making the call. Right. Um, I don't even want to go down the list of, of incidents. I've had It'll be in our oral history, the Cleo lemon <laughs> the oral history. Uh, but, but for example, um, for example, I had an issue, uh, in a championship game and, and, you know, some of you may remember this, but, uh, where Joe Webb, uh, was a wide receiver slash quarterback and he was listed as a wide receiver slash quarterback. Um, on Yahoo, which is the, the, the site that we use. And it was the championship game. And the one of the owners um, was starting Joe Webb at wide receiver, even though he was a quarterback. And I mean, there was nothing in, in the rules that said that you couldn't do that. And he is eligible. So, you know, I, I basically rationalized it that you know, listen, this is within that person's right to, to play that person. And yeah, it's an advantage, but, but, you know, I, I can't overrule Yahoo with, without prior knowledge of, you know, Hey, this is, this is not, you know, something that's, that's going to be an advantage. And honestly, if you can find that advantage as a fantasy owner, go for it. If there's somebody that's, that's got dual eligibility at, at, you know, wide receiver and quarterback or something, then then take advantage of that and understand that that will be an advantage as you, as you move along. And that doesn't happen very often, um, but it, but in that case, you just have to to make a call, stick with the call, and you know, yeah, I know there were there were people that were not happy with me at the time, but you I know, got, here we are. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Like you know, fifteen years later, and and you know, the league's still going on. Yeah. So you know, uh, I, I guess it all worked out for the best. Well, I'll echo your point about leaving up to the league. Like you, 
you should like your team, you should not be crowdsourcing your owners for what you should do about COVID protocols and players. Like as a commissioner, that's on you to bring something to the table and, you know, even just implement it or at least allow feedback on that and then make adjustments. But you should not be crowdsourcing. Hey, what do we do in this? You know, it's your job as a commissioner to do it. So like I said, be assertive, um, you know, have reasoning, have logic, but make decisions, stick with it. And, um, you know, use the power that's vested to you, I should say. So, so I know it doesn't have anything to do with playing fantasy football. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think one of the other pieces of advice that I'll kind of throw out there is like manage your risk and understand when it's, when it's pertinent to, make like a a lottery ticket sort of pick, right? Like the decisions that I've made that have absolutely torpedoed seasons, they've happened in the first two rounds. Um, And, you know, I was one of those poor souls who drafted Antonio Brown the the year he got (laughs) traded to the Raiders and that whole fiasco because I was, you know, I I love the player's talent. And I I still think he would have had an incredible season in, I guess it was still Oakland at the time. Um, but it was still a degree of risk. It was a guy that was going from, from Ben Roethlisberger in a dynamic Pittsburgh offense to Derek Carr in a pretty anemic Raiders offense. Um, at least the way it was in those days. So like a pick like that, just, it, it torpedoed my season because I had missed out on so many other players that were, that were higher quality and ended up performing better. Um, Last year, I was I was the guy that bit the bullet on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I, I took him um, second overall in our draft. And, and listen, again, you're all like, oh, second overall. Like we had, there were about 11 guys that were already kept, right? So I, he wasn't my second overall player, but he was who, who I deemed to be second best available of, of who was left after the keepers. Um, so for me, if, if you're going to take a high risk, high reward player, don't do it in the first two rounds. Um, there's guys that are boomer bust. There's guys that are lottery tickets. Find who those guys are in later rounds. And if you feel so inclined, pull the trigger. Um, but the you need to hit on your first probably three picks. Um, those are, those are going to be your cornerstone players. And the rest of the guys, there's going to be injuries. There's going to be... Um, you know, you're, you're you're going to as a manager be able to pick guys up and manage your roster in a way um, that you can be competitive if you have a, a kind of a poor draft with the exception of the first three picks. But if you miss on those on three of those three picks or or even two of those three picks, your season is done. So yeah, it's a good point. True. I there's a there's another one and this is won't apply to everybody um, but it's a, it's an in draft tip that I that I really really uh, subscribe to um, and that's for the folks that are drafting at the turns right so think you know the first you know picks one through three or one through four and then the depending on the size of your leagues for for example ours is fourteen you know those those people that are picking you know twelve through fourteen. Um, there's a right and a wrong way to manage the turns. And, and what I mean by that is when you're at that, that sort of territory, especially on the way towards you where you're going to have another pick relatively soon in a snake draft, what you want to do is be cognizant of 
the needs of the people that are going to be drafting behind you. So the, so the next, you know, three or four picks, um, because you'll be able to identify in a lot of cases, okay, well, this guy's already got two running backs, but he doesn't have any receivers. So maybe I should, maybe I should grab the receiver first, even though there's a running back that maybe I like better, but he may snake back around just based on the needs of, of the teams that are, that are in front of you. Now, now sometimes that can come back to bite you, but in terms of maximizing your chances um, to, to get both guys that you want, um, it, it's important to not just, you know, as soon as your pick is up, just fire it away, especially at the turns. You want to understand who, who people have, the positions that they have already on the roster versus what they're looking for. Also, if you're looking at um, owners in leagues that you're familiar with, for example, our, our league that we've been doing forever, you'll understand that there are certain people that, you know, owners have had before that they had success with, or on the other hand, people that they don't like, and they had, you know, maybe a year that there was a, a down year or whatever. So even before the draft, do a little homework on those folks that are going to be picking, you know, right behind you, um, and, and understand who they like. Um, and that can really come in handy on, on draft day. Cause you may be able to, to, you know, maybe select somebody that they were going to take right before they take them. Um, and, and I think that that helps you maximize your roster. So just another thing to keep in mind at the turns. To your point, I think Joe Mixon, you know, if you know, our league, Joe Mixon's one of those players that everyone hates. He might, uh, he might go in the fifth round this year in a 14 team league. Um, not to yeah. me, <laughs> yeah, not, 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 <laughs> not me. Um, I don't, I don't, um, I guess I don't want to give too much away. So I'll gladly be able to talk about this August 23rd after our draft. Um, I don't know. I don't really have, this is an advice. I just say, get out of your eight team leagues, like get into 12, yes. 14, 16 yeah, seriously. leagues. Um, it, like it, please, I don't do not be the reason these articles are written. Like I looked up some before we hopped on here. Um, it was, there's, 11 must-have players, and then there's one five fantasy football uh, players you must draft. Uh, guess who's on this? Five fantasy football players you must draft. Calvin Ridley, Darren Waller, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the only people he's applied to are people in two-team leagues. Like, <laughs> like, this is... Like, that stuff drives me nuts. So, test yourself... Get to know a little bit more of the league, the depth around the league, um, you know, and get out of your 18 leagues, please. And, and, and actually, this is a little piece of social advice, too, um, just as a bonus for, for the listener. Um, understand, you love fantasy football. I love fantasy football. Um, the people in your league will care about your story about fantasy football. <laughs> yes, the people, even if they are diehard fantasy football fans, will not care about your story about your league if you're telling it to them who is not in your league. I am a diehard fantasy football fan. But when I talk with a coworker about their fantasy football league, I don't care. <laughs> like, I can't emphasize enough, like, don't tell me about your fantasy football league. I don't care because you're probably playing with four teams <laughs> And I just don't want to hear about it. And, and, and two of them are like your, your, your grandparents or something like, I don't care, you know? So just, just keep that in mind. If you find yourself in a social situation on a date in a business meeting, and you're talking about your fantasy football team's performance, stop rant over. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good one. Yes. Um, 
the the other one that I'll kind of throw out there is well, it kind of kind of goes along the lines of of what some of you guys have said already. But I have been in leagues with Steeler fans. We're we're all from <laughs> oh, yeah. Pittsburgh. The Homer picks. My goodness, guys! Like, just stop. No, keep them going, you, please. You you don't need to draft like you don't need to draft. Uh, if you're a Browns fan, like Kareem Hunt isn't a first round pick. He's not. He's good. I get it. I'm not trying to insult you, Baker Mayfield. If you're drafting Baker Mayfield before the seventh round, you've made a mistake. Actually, if Baker Mayfield is your number one quarterback, you've made a mistake. <laughs> Some, something has happened that should not have happened. Um, so it's I see it from a lot of different places, like Pittsburgh, for sure. I'm just really accustomed to that because I've been in leagues with Pittsburgh people before. Cleveland's really bad with it. Eagles people are terrible with it. Um, Green Bay, like Chicago, anywhere with bad weather. Buffalo, like... Cole Beasley should not be going in the third round, guys. Like, just doesn't, just don't do it. I was gonna say, even Detroit was bad with it because uh, they did have some skill players it would take, but they all went super early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the the other one, there's actually an article that I kind of wrote about, like, don't be this guy for your fantasy league. You can check it out on the website. Um, the other one is prepare out of respect for the people who are also in this league with you. Um, there have been occasions in our, our lives where these people are no longer in the league. Um, but going to the movies with them as a, <laughs> I'm not going to get into gendering <laughs> stuff, <laughs> but if you're going to go to the movies during the draft, just, just tell the person you don't want to be in the league. They'll find somebody else. Like if you're going to do stuff like that, if you're going to show up and you're going to like, if you're going to take two quarterbacks, if you're going to take Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes in the first two rounds, you're useless. Go home. <laughs> Go home. Get some help. Like, what's the Michael Jordan thing? Stop it. Yeah, get stop. some help. Stop. Like, get some help. Don't do this. Don't Go do back this. to your eight-team league. Yeah. And we probably take it more, you know, us three on this podcast probably take it more seriously than others. But And that's okay. That's fine. But, you know, at least, you know, you don't... You know, just take a look at our rankings the night before. You know, you don't have to put it, spreadsheets and spreadsheets together, but just to have a general idea of what you're going right. to do. Right. Um, yeah, there's there was that. There was uh, Pete, who's our current reigning champion. One time took Jeremy Macklin a week after he tore his ACL. Um, He's grown since then. Yes, though. grown. He's become a much better fantasy Pete football ve- player. He is very good. Um, he, he's a two-time champion. So listen, the jokes. Maybe maybe he just knows more than everybody else. He's just lulling us into a fight. I, I have a. I still have a theory that the Jeremy Macklin thing, the after the year he tore his ACL, I think that was a turning point for Pete because I think Pete was pretty bad at fantasy football and we made fun of him so much that he was like, "Nah, I'm going to be better moving forward." And he's won two championships since, so yeah. I think now it's he's like, wiping the floor with all of us yeah it was it was his turnaround story yeah last year he had josh allen um no i can't remember who aj brown he had a great team last year one of the dumbest things that i that i did remember this is the guy that took clyde edwards hilaire second overall (laughs) um that's who's speaking here but audibly and bill and i were drafting together um and i remember when pete made the josh allen pick i was just like that's a dumb pick and i thought i was on mute and I was like, wow. <laughs> I 
so you're such a jerk. <laughs> and I was like, and I don't know why, because I have nothing against Pete. I like Pete very much. He's a very nice dude. Um, but I, it was just one of those things that, like, I didn't even remember who even made the pick. I just heard Josh Allen's name, and I was like, that's a dumb pick. And I took Clyde Edwards Hilaire second <laughs> overall. Jokes on so you, like, we, we, So pride, pride comes before the fall. Yes. We had um, Tony, uh, maybe we shouldn't be using the, oh, whatever. Tony took, right. uh, what was it, Philip Rivers and Tony Romo, like back-to-back. Back-to-back. Uh, back. Oh, at the turn, as I recall. Yeah. Sorry. Like, that's the same exact thing that we're, that we're telling people not to do, talk about their fantasy <laughs> leagues, but whatever. That, that's a story. Like. That, that story grinds my gears because <laughs> I, I was one of the forerunners of our league took quarterbacks early. All the time. Well, we used to get point per completion. <laughs> yeah, per completion. <laughs> which was which was also stupid, which was really dumb. But everyone took quarterbacks early. But but we kind of a couple of us, I'd say Bill, Zach, myself, a couple others in the league, kind of realized like a lot of quarterbacks score the same amount of points. So why are we paying a premium for them? So I had waited, and I had a really good team. That that was the team that ended up going um, to the champ, my first championship that I went to. I didn't ultimately win. Um, Rack ended up winning, so kudos to him. But I, I literally went into that that game with like Joe Flacco and Tim Tebow. This was like Tebow mania kind of deal. Um, but earlier that year, Tony had Tony Romo and Philip <laughs> Rivers, who were like the number four and five quarterback, I think, ranked. And I desperately tried to trade for any of those dudes. And I was offering very legitimate, like solid deals to try to get one of those quarterbacks. And he wouldn't even reply to my trades. And had I had either of those dudes for that championship game, the, the result could have been very different. Uh, man, that, that still grinds my gears. Oh, I was so angry about that one. Well, Tony became afraid to trade after my Larry Johnson deal, just ripped the soul from him forever. Yeah, that was enough. That was I that was unethical. Never, I will never forgive you for that. It I will was, never, ever, ever why? forgive you for that. Why? I don't. Understand. It was such a gyp. Oh my god! I, you got Antonio Gates and Larry Johnson for like half of a bag of peanuts or something. I mean, what 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 were the details of the deal for the listeners? I don't even remember. I don't remember. If you if you uh, give me, it was you, it was Antonio Gates and and Larry Johnson oh and Zach gave him like. Percy Harvin or something. I, no, no, it was before Percy Harvin. That, <laughs> yeah. I think Kerry Collins was involved in it. Um, oh my god! Give, give me, give me ten minutes or less than that, and I'll find it. Hold on. It's yeah. Ten minutes, you're in. That's a little slow there, pal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to. I, I got to figure out the year first. I mean, give this me is the second. Oregon Trail of internet. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go through that series of tubes. Uh, hey, strip districts fast. G- give me a second. Um, <laughs> what else? What else is there? What was the one that got that got Mike Cataldo, MC, super, super mad at Pete? He took Tom Brady or something. Oh yeah, it took Tom Brady to, before, uh, right before him, I think, with the pick. And then now forever, it's it's now rivalry yeah, week. Yeah, it's forever, forever rivalry week. I'm trying to think of other good. Oh, pay attention to your draft board. Um, we had an incident a couple of years ago where, where this was years and years ago, Pierre Thomas was a predominant back for the new Orleans saints at that point. Like when they were winning their super, their super bowl, that those kinds of teams and Pierre Thomas had gone like four rounds ago and someone wasn't <laughs> crossing off their list. And this dude gets up and, and screams at us that we're all idiots and that this is the pick that's going to win him the draft. And he's like, give me Pierre Thomas. And Pierre Thomas had gone like four rounds earlier. 
So like, just pay attention, general <laughs> etiquette. Don't try to take guys that have already been drafted, especially ones that have been drafted like earlier. So I think, I think the degree of the crime and, and how egregious it is when you try to draft somebody that's already been drafted depends on the round. Like for example, if, if you try to take somebody that was just taken like the round before, like, yeah, okay. Maybe you forgot to, to cross it off. If it's two rounds before, like, okay, dude, pay attention. If it's like five or six rounds, like you should be, you should be removed from the league and, yeah. and possibly jailed. I yeah. am. I can't see Yahoo does a, it deletes some of the history of the leagues, like some of the transactions. Well, it's been, I, I think it's too far back. I think we we're uh, keeping score on stone tablets at that point. Right. Yeah. But they yeah. have, uh, they have like add, they have add and drops for back then, but they don't have, they don't have Check your MySpace page, there. dude. <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm going to type. To- Tony Johnson had to be your, your number one friend after that one. It was. I don't know. Definitely I did, top eight. I did get Antonio Gates and Larry Johnson. I think I had. I gave up three players, though. So, I mean, he, oh, won, wow. he, won, on, he won on quantity. Yeah. So Zach, Zach was our bad players for your good players uh, kind of trade. <laughs> I've changed from then. that. But, you know, that's come back to bite me because not a lot of people uh, trade with me anymore. And I think that might be the reason. Well, you, know what's, you know what's upsetting But everyone would have well. done the same thing. Another another piece that grinds my gears also about like trading within your league is if if I'm making you an offer and and this goes for our league. So people in our league who listen to the podcast, listen to this. If I'm making you an offer, I'm not going to come with my initial offer and be like, hey, let me give you my best offer. I'm I'm gonna start a dialogue with you. I'm gonna start by lowballing you. That's how business works. That's how everything <laughs> in life works, right? I'm not gonna show you all the goods right away. So if I'm sending you a trade offer, provide a counter. Come back to me with something. If you're actually interested in anything I have on my roster, dialogue about it. But there's so many people in our league that I'm like, here's my initial offer. Let's start a dialogue. And they just let the trade sit there and they don't reply to it and they don't do anything with it. And I'm like, I'm just trying to do business with you. I'm not trying, like, this isn't a a, a real legit, I'm not expecting you to take this offer. I'm, I'm asking for a counter proposal. And that's annoying, our league. So pay attention to your <laughs> trades. Um, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Yeah, just they, in general, as a general point. But the people that just decline trades, like, listen, I understand if you're just not interested in negotiating or something. But like, there were people that were interested in some of the players that I had on my team that I was working to make deals for last year. They're like, no, I'm not going to take that deal. Well, no, no crap, Sherlock, man. I'm not trying to give you my best players up front. I'm going to try to work a deal that's going to be best and, you know, hopefully mutually beneficial, but hopefully beneficial to me as well. Like, there's there's just not an understanding it feels like of this is this is my initial offer like when i go to buy a house i'm not going to go in over asking price it's true so what i what i my approach to trades and i do not trade very much at all i I think i maybe made one trade last yeah you only trade between each other yeah yeah exactly yeah um but i never send a trade offer i never send a trade offer without um, talking to somebody for like, if I'm sending a trade offer, it's cause it's going to get accepted. Like I'm, I am not one to ever just like randomly send a trade offer. Um, just because I, I want to, I want to get a feel for that person and, and, you know, sort of what their thought process is. And the other thing I would say is, um, 
the the best fantasy football trades that work out for everybody typically are at a position surplus versus a position um, uh, scarcity. And that's really the only if you find yourself trading, you know, receive one receiver for two receivers or something like that to me doesn't make a lot of sense. If you find that you are on the side of the deal where you're getting more players, um, you're probably not doing it right. Um, because you know, that, that one guy is, is really what matters. And, and, um, you know, depth is important. Um, but your depth really should be coming from a, the draft and b the, um, be the, the free agency pool. Um, if you find yourself trading for depth, um, that, that's not good. Um, depth is good in, in fantasy football for sure for sure, but it becomes less important as the season wears on. Of course, barring injuries, um, you want to have good depth at the beginning of the year, for sure, to, to combat bye weeks and injuries and things like that. But it becomes less and less important as the season wears on. And by the time that you are hopefully in the playoffs, championship games, whatever, you have a, you know, maybe a shorter bench um, in terms of depth, but you've got guys that are you know, locked in, right? Because that's how you want to manage your team and have it, you know, come to fruition at the end of the year. Um, and not to backtrack on the uh, trade thing, but if you're if you're not interested in a trade, just say no. Uh, you don't have to say, "Oh, I'll look at it tonight." You know, if you're gonna, if you tell me you're looking at it tonight, you better believe I'm following up with you at eight a.m. the next morning. You know, so if you're gonna, if it's gonna take you a week to look at it, say it's gonna take you a week. If you want to wait till after the next game's played, I get it. But you know, just you can say no. It's totally okay. I will not get offended. There is nothing you can do to offend me under any circumstance. So, anything else? Because I have one question to ask you guys before we hop off. Fire away, man. Let's do it. Uh, just, just objectively, no feelings involved. Just objectively, it's a factual question. Who is the most winningest manager in our league, regular season and postseason? In terms of percentage or no, total no, wins? No, just total wins. Total wins? Well, it's probably you. Yeah, thanks. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining us in episode 20. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. <laughs> that was all. That was all. I just wanted to hear you say it, Bill. What's the percentage? Well, though? Who's our, who's winning? Who's most winning on percentage? Uh, regular, got season that, regular season is Lansbury. Postseason's yeah. me. Active managers. Yeah, active because we've had, we've had some people that have only been in the league for a few years. Yeah. So, all right. Thanks, guys. Just wanted to check. Just wanted to just forgot that for a quick second. So Sa- same number of ships as you, bro. No, you don't. You have two. Do I? Yeah, I have three. You have three? Yeah, I have three. Oh, we're counting the we're counting Larry Johnson and Antonio uh, Gates. Don't still? give me that. Don't give me that shit. <laughs> Asterisk. Don't, no, yeah, that's what that's what that's what losers <laughs> do. Juicing. Losers, that's what losers do. Asterisk. That that trophy is gonna go right next to mm-hmm. the, the Hall of Fame next to uh, nope. Mark McGuire's um, home run nope, record. Nope, 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 nope. Keep talking. Um Barry Bonds of Fantasy Football. <laughs> Nothing you can say that hurts. I, I think Barry Bonds is the great second greatest baseball player of all time. Uh, okay, uh, we got to wrap on so. that. I can't. I can't. I can't get into a baseball discussion. Yeah, all right. No. Anything else you guys want to add other than Jamar Chase uh, doesn't look as good as everyone thought he would in preseason? Breaking news. Oh, I guess. guess shouldn't draft him. Um, yeah. 
Sorry, guys, the Bengals may not be good. Whoa! Shocker, you should have drafted a lineman. Oh. Uh, yeah. But, all right, well, thanks for listening. Episode 22 in the books. We'll talk to you guys soon. And uh, peace out. Bye, friends. Take care, everybody.